God is alive, and we celebrate that today and every day, and especially next weekend. Looking forward to doing that. In the meantime, sing, Father. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us. Because we forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil ones. Let your kingdom come, Father, let your kingdom come, Father, let your will be done, on earth, earth as in heaven, right here in my heart, Father, let your kingdom come, Father, let your will be done, on earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Thus this day our daily bread, forgive us, forgive us. We forgive the ones who sin against us, forgive them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil ones. Let your kingdom come. And it's yours, God. It's yours, it's yours. All yours, all yours, the kingdom, the power, the glory are yours. It's yours, it's yours, all yours, all yours, forever and ever, the kingdom is yours. Again, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, all yours, all yours. Forever, the power, the glory are yours. It's yours, it's yours, all yours, 
and ever, the kingdom is yours. Father, let your kingdom come. Oh, Father, let your will be done. I heard that in heaven, right here, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. Honor. Let us in heaven, right here in my heart. Once again, sing, Father. Father, let the kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. Let us in heaven, right here in my heart. Once again, now, Father, let the kingdom come. Oh, Father, let your will be done. Let us in heaven. Right here in my heart, on earth, on earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Giants come calling my name. My God is so much bigger than troubles I face. And why would I hunger for power or riches or fame? My God is so much better than all of these things. So I won't be shaken. I won't be moved. My God is faithful. His promise is true. So I to the mountain oh it's time to move my God is bigger better stronger greater than you my enemies scatter cause they know the battle is done My God is stronger, the victory is already won. Yes, He died for my ransom and rose up on the third day. My God is greater than death. I won't be shaken, I won't be moved, my God is faithful, His promise is true, so I speak to the mountain, oh it's time to move. My God is big. 
There's no mountain too high, no valley too low. There's no fear that I have. He doesn't already know. There's no problem too big. There's no weapon too strong. There is nothing for God that's impossible. There's no mountain too high. No valley too low, there's no problem to have. He doesn't already know, there's no problem to be. There's no weapon too strong, there is nothing for God that's impossible. So I won't be shaken, I won't be moved. My God is faithful, His promise is true, I speak to the mountain, for it's time to move, my God is bigger, better, stronger, bigger, bigger, better. Stronger, greater, bigger, better, stronger, greater than you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for worshiping with us. You can have a seat right now. My wife, Carolyn, is going to lead us in a time of revival prayer. Good morning. Good morning. We now have a green light. Okay. Well, that means go. Okay. Well, this morning we are going to turn our focus to revival prayer. And today is Palm Sunday. And growing up, Palm Sunday was a time with where kids had palm branches and there was a lot of conversation about donkeys. Um, the shift moved to Good Friday and then Easter. But if we move too fast, we miss a lesson that Jesus taught to change our world and rock our hearts. In Mark's telling of the story, um, there's a story of the clearing of the temple with a strange story of Jesus killing a fig tree in Mark chapter 11. Jesus finds a fig tree that has lots of leaves, but without any fruit. This symbol, well, when we see Jesus, um, after, after the story, we see Jesus um, disrupting religious establishment um, of the time. And, and at the time, it makes the message really clear. You can have a lot of the trappings of religious activity, but not be producing any spiritual fruit. And this is called hypocrisy. The danger of hypocrisy is that it's easier to see it in others and hard to see it in ourselves. Hypocrisy insulates our heart from the humility that we need to be hungry for more of God. If we want to see revival, we need to be desperate for God 
in order to produce fruit out of our connection with him. That is the beginning of revival. And that is where revival prayer begins. For God to do a work in us and pour out his spirit, it starts, it starts with us. It starts with us examining our own heart and drawing near in humility, hungering for God, and desperate for him. The story of the fig tree is explained by Jesus with a challenge to pray things that require faith. If we truly believe that there is no mountain too high, no valley too low, there's no fear that I have that he doesn't already know, there's no problem too big, there's no weapon too strong, there's nothing impossible with our God, then we must be praying for those mountains and those problems in our lives and in our world. If we truly believe his promises are true, we must speak to those mountains because our God is bigger and stronger and greater. We must be praying all this to our God who can do anything. Prayer invites us into a faith adventure with Jesus that should produce fruit. God invites us to change the world with our prayer. So we must ask ourselves, are we praying dangerous, audacious prayers? Um, there's a, a speaker and a writer, her name is Lisa Bevere, and she says, if you are not praying the kind of prayers that scare you, believe me, they're not scaring the enemy. We need to be Christians who believe for a life that makes a difference. Um, there, as Pete Gregg says, we need to move from survival to revival. What are we going to ask God that will make a difference for Jesus' kingdom. I believe that if we really let these things pass our guard and into our heart, we can change the world. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good, you are awesome, you are holy, and you are mighty. And nothing, nothing is impossible for you. We come before you and we ask for forgiveness when we've allowed pride and complacency to enter our heart. And we want to draw near to you humbly, seeking your grace and seeking your forgiveness. And this morning, we want to pray dangerous, audacious prayers. Lord, I ask that you would move in our hearts, move in our churches, pour out your spirit. It may it change our city May it change our state, and may it change our world, and that is our audacious prayer. God, for the mountains in our lives, we ask you to move them. For hearts that are far from you, we ask you to use us in humility to be a catalyst for drawing them close to you. We ask you to save those who we love that are far from you. And for our church, God, for this body of believers, may we be a light on a hill. When people walk through our doors, May they find hope, may they find love, acceptance, and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. For our city, God, we ask you to move, shake things up, draw hearts to you, open eyes, open hearts, and may the hurt, the lost, and the broken find hope and redemption in your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you, tonight at 6.30, we meet here at the church, 6.30, for a revival prayer. And we will be praying dangerous and audacious prayers because our God is faithful. Thank you very much.
Thank you so much, Carolyn. Well, folks, before we continue with our, our worship and uh, one of my favorite songs, Gratitude, I'd love for you to take just a moment to uh, greet the folks around you and let them know what you are grateful for today. And we'll get started back in just a second. All right, folks, let's make our way back to our seats. Let's lift our voices up to the Lord one more time with hearts of gratitude. Let's sing, everyone. Here we go. All my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do. Every song must end. And you never do. So we live. So I throw up my hands, praise you again and again. All that I have is a hallelujah, a hallelujah, and I know it's not mine. I have nothing else to 
for a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah, singing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. Got one. I've got one response. I've got just one move. Arms stretched wide. I will worship you. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. All that I have is a hallelujah, a hallelujah, and I know it's not much, I'm nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah, singing hallelujah. on my soul oh don't you get shy on me lift up your song you've got a lion inside of those lungs get up and praise the Lord once again now come on my soul oh don't you get shy on me lift up your song Got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. One more time, church. Oh, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Throw up my hand and praise you again and again. And all that I have is a hallelujah, a hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I'm nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah, singing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's pray, church. Lord, we approach your throne of grace this morning with gratitude for all that you have done and are doing and will do. Thank you, God, for the privilege of worshiping you together like this. With one heart, we sing hallelujah. In Christ's name, amen. All right, amen. Amen.
Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Elsa. So, uh, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Really glad you're here, all of you. And uh, those of you who are joining us either from YouTube or Facebook, we're really glad you're with us today as well. Uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, Daniel chapter 6, so if you want to turn there, uh, that'd be good. Uh, we are finishing up today. By the way, happy uh, Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, we're not going to talk about palm branches today. Uh, we're not going to talk about donkeys, uh, but we are going to talk about how to thrive in Babylon. We've been doing a series called Thriving in Babylon, and the reason we've called it Thriving in Babylon is because that's where Daniel was. That's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. They were in this place, Babylon. And Babylon, uh, they had been carried away in captivity in 605 B.C. Uh, by Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of of Babylon, and then, then uh, in Nebuchadnezzar was king from 605 B.C., actually before then, but he, uh, but all the way up until, I'm trying to remember, 562, 562 B.C., 539 B.C., uh, the Persians came in, uh, they surrounded uh, Babylon, they conquered Babylon, really with very little bloodshed, and uh, and so what happened was Daniel went from being a high-ranking official in Babylon. During the time of Belshazzar, he was kind of demoted to a lower bureaucrat. Then under uh, both King Cyrus and under Darius, he was uh, he rose to power again. And so we're going to look at that a little bit today. But but again, the reason we're calling this thriving in Babylon is that right now we are, according to Peter, we are living like exiles here. On this planet. This is not your home. Okay? Fairfield is not your home. California is not your home. United States, I know you're, most of you are U.S. citizens. All of you are U.S. citizens now. Uh, you're United States citizens. But the Bible tells us that you have a better citizenship. The Bible says that our citizenship is in heaven. That is a better citizenship. That's where we really belong. We belong with God. But right now, we are living like exiles on this planet. This is not our home. The Bible tells us that this world is a place where we experience opposition to our faith, opposition to really following Jesus. Um, I, I love this text. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 6. And so if you have your Bible, open up to that. Uh, if you've got your phone, you can look it up on your phone. Uh, but I'm going to read for us the scripture here, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how this applies to us today. Scripture says, it pleased Darius, Darius was king at this time of Babylon, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. Basically, a satrap was like a governing official, alright? So, I know it's a weird word, but it's what they were, okay? It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. The kingdom was huge. The kingdom of Persia, it stretched all the way from the Indus River, is that correct? I think so, on the easternmost part, all the way into um, uh, the land of Palestine, uh, Syria, all the way to Egypt. It was an enormous empire. Uh, it was enormous. And, uh, and, and imagine, you know, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have uh, email. You know, trying to communicate from one side of the empire to the other, just the administrative challenge that would be was huge. And so what, what Darius does is he appoints 120, like, governors to rule these different provinces throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. At this point in time, Daniel would have probably been close to 80 years old and still a high-ranking official. 
Um, the satraps were made accountable to them, to these three officials. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Okay? They didn't want the king. The king did not want to suffer loss. He didn't want any governing officials siphoning off a little bit of cash for themselves. He didn't want to lose anything due to the negligence of his officials. He wanted to make sure he got all of his tax money. Kind of like, kind of like federal government, okay? Well, that's what it was, alright? So, um, where, where am I at? What verse? Three. Thank you. Thank you. My wife's not here. My wife's still sick, sorry. Uh, she's still sick. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself. Among the administrators and the satraps, by his exceptional qualities, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Sounds like good news, doesn't it? He's going to get a promotion. That's very good news. Um, Planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They're trying, they're looking for something. They're looking for some kind of dirt on, uh, on Daniel. Uh, there's a, a guy, his name is Dale Daniel. That's not his name. His first name's Dale. I can't remember what his last name is. Maybe it is Daniel. I can't remember. Anyway, it's a, it's a, a commentary I've been reading. And, and what Dale says about this text is he says, he says, um, he, he, he writes this. He says, Daniel 6 begins with a miracle. A squeaky clean politician. In Daniel, there is no corruption. Can we say this of our governing officials today? I wish we could. Okay? There is corruption in every government. There is. You know why? Because they're people. They're human beings. They were looking for something in him. They were looking uh, for some reason to bring charges against Daniel. But they were unable to do so. They, um, <clears throat> The Scripture says... Uh, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with his law. Basically, these guys are threatened by Daniel. Uh, they're threatened by Daniel because I believe because they were skimming off the top. That Daniel's a man of integrity. Uh, he's not skimming off the top. He, he's making sure that the king gets everything. And in these men, they find that a threat in Daniel. So these administrators, satraps, went as a group to the king, and they said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So they have this decree. You cannot worship any god. You cannot pray to any man, any God, except to King Darius for 30 days. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, 
He went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open to Jerusalem. You might want to underline that phrase. The windows are open to Jerusalem. This is significant and important, and I'll make that clear for us in a few minutes. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. This was his custom. Three times a day, he would go home, open, uh, windows open towards Jerusalem, and he would pray. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying, asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the, the, uh, of the den, and the king sealed it with his, his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted uh, in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. 
He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let me pray for us and we're going to jump into this. God, today, I pray that you would, that you would let us, uh, help us to humbly receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. God, I, I pray that your spirit would convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That where we need to make adjustments and changes in our lives, help us, Lord, to, um, to bend our lives to your word instead of bending your word to our lives. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, four things I want to talk to you about and I want to point out to you here. Uh, you know, we, we've been calling this series Thriving in Babylon. And the reason we've been calling the series Thriving in Babylon is what I said from the beginning, is that, that, that what God wants us to do is that this is not our home. This is not our home. That our ultimate home is with God. That right now, we are, as Christians, we are like people who are living in exile. This is not where we are meant to be. We're meant to be in a better land, a better place. But God wants you, God wants you to thrive right where you are right now. God wants every single person in this room, He wants you to thrive right where you are. Even in this world that sometimes opposes everything that we think, everything that we believe, God wants you to thrive. And I believe in order for us to thrive, there's some things that we have to understand and there's some things that we need to apply to our lives. That He wants us to thrive here. And first of all, number one is simply this. It takes integrity to thrive in Babylon. It takes integrity. The one of the things that we see in Daniel is we see in him, uh, we see this incredible integrity. That, that what it says here in verses 3 through 5, it says that... Um, it says, Daniel, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, uh, that they planned, or they, the, uh, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to send him over the whole kingdom. So he distinguished himself by how he was doing his work as an administrator. Okay? And the Bible says that at this, the satraps, the, uh, the administrators, the satraps, uh, tried to find grounds for char- bringing charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They couldn't find any grounds of accusation to bring against him. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, they came to, to this conclusion. If we're going to find grounds to bring an accusation against Daniel, it's going to have to do with something with regards to how he worships God. And it's really interesting when you read on through the chapter, two different times, two different times that, that, that we see here, Darius says something really interesting about Daniel. Is he talks to him about his God who Daniel continually serves. The one of the things that Darius recognized uh, in, in Daniel is that he continually, continually served his God. And by the way, the way he served God benefited Darius. See, he served God with integrity, so he served Darius with integrity. Where, 
where Darius was suffering loss, either through negligence or corruption, through the governing officials, through Daniel, he experienced no such loss. That Daniel was a man who was marked by integrity. In, in our world of politics, there is so much mudslinging. And the sad thing, oftentimes there's mud to sling. There's so much mudslinging because there is mud to sling. There is, there is so much. So often in our world today, there's so little integrity. And people that we look to for leadership as a nation. And this isn't good. It's not good for our nation. That what we need in leadership is we need people like Daniel. It takes integrity. It takes integrity. Uh, it takes integrity to, um, to thrive in Babylon. Uh, as Christians, uh, a couple things here in your notes. First of all, it takes integrity to thrive in Babylon. As Christians, we should look for integrity. First, in our spiritual leaders, but also in our political leaders. Okay? I, I believe that we as Christians should look for integrity first in our spiritual leaders, but also in our political leaders. That, that in, in, our, our, uh, in, in our spiritual leaders, uh, the Bible tells us when speaking of Christian leaders, uh, the, the Bible says that they, they must be above reproach. Uh, this is First uh, Thessalonians, where is it? First Thessalonians 3.2, okay? That the spiritual leaders are supposed to be above reproach. The very first thing, but when, when, when Paul was writing to, to Timothy and he was talking to him about appointing overseers, and overseers and elders are used interchangeably in the Bible. But the very first thing he says to, to Timothy is look for men who are above reproach. And then when you look at Titus chapter 1, uh, in verse 6, uh, and, and Paul is talking to Titus about appointing elders. He tells him the very thing, first thing you should look for is you, you should look for men who are blameless. Above reproach and blameless. This doesn't mean perfect. But what it does mean is that it means that these are people who follow Jesus with such consistency that there's no mud to sling against them. Does, does that make sense? That what we're supposed to look for, one of the things, I'm, I'm 63 years old now, and I have seen this, I saw it in the 70s, I saw it in the 80s, I saw it in the 90s, the early 2000s, the 2010s, and now I have watched spiritual leader after spiritual leader after spiritual leader, decade after decade after decade, who've been disqualified from ministry because of a lack of integrity. And oftentimes what churches look for in leadership is they look for celebrity instead of integrity. Do you know that? That, that it's the American way. We look for celebrity instead of integrity. That's part of the reason why we have as many problems as we do in many of our churches. And this is part of the reason we have as much trouble as we do even in our national government, state government. Is oftentimes we look for celebrity who's popular, who has power, who has wealth, instead of looking for integrity. People who are what they say they are. Um, that we need to look for uh, we need to look for integrity 
in our spiritual leadership. But I believe in this text, we're talking about looking for integrity in political leaders. One of the things I want to encourage you to do is when you vote, vote for integrity. Don't simply vote for a party. Vote for integrity. I, I really believe there's a biblical basis for this. I do. Is that I think the American way is to vote for my party. And I believe the Christian way is to vote for integrity. Vote for people who follow Jesus. Vote for people who are honest. Vote for people who do what they say they're going to do. And I, I believe that this is one that... I believe a lot of what's happened in our nation is we've become so divided over politics and over power and over seeking and lusting after all different kinds of things that, that our nation is divided. And we have got to unite. And we have got to look for integrity and leadership. And I've had people tell me that's just a pipe dream. You know, that my ideals are too high. And I'm like, well, you know what? I think my ideals are consistent with Scripture. But I think we should look for integrity and leadership in the church. And I think we should look for integrity and leadership in our nation. But by the way, I think above all of this, we need to strive for integrity in our personal lives. See, nobody here gets to point their finger at this president or that president about their lack of integrity. Because every time we look at someone else and we point the finger at them and we point out their lack of integrity, do you realize, do you realize that when you point out the lack of integrity of another person, if in any measure you lack integrity in your own life, you bring yourself under the judgment of God. Did you know that? That God desires integrity in the heart of every man, woman, and child who follows Jesus. Not just leaders, but every one of us. Where do I see that in the Scripture? Where do I see that in the Scripture? Well, first of all, we see it in Daniel. Okay? We see it in Daniel. We, we saw it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego earlier. We saw it there. But in the Bible, the Bible says this. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 uh, and 13. And this is in your notes. The Bible says this. It says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow. By the way, real quickly, real quickly, don't just read past those words. Pay attention to those words. This is a prayer. This is a prayer by Paul for the church in Thessalonica. This is how I'm supposed to pray for you. This is how you're supposed to pray for me. If you want to know how to pray, pray Scripture. When you pray Scripture, you pray scripturally. When you pray Scripture, you pray according to the will of God. And the very first thing he prays for, uh, for these people, is he says, May the Lord make your love. Circle that word love in your Bible. That's an important word. God wants your love to do what? To increase and overflow. I underline those two words. It's really important when we begin to talk about integrity, we first talk about love. Because if you don't love well, you can't live your life with integrity well. See, if you don't love well when you are, quote-unquote, living a life of integrity, if you're not careful, really what you're doing is you're living a life of hypocrisy, like what Carolyn was talking about earlier. Where there's no love, there's no integrity. But I think where there is love, there will be integrity. And the first thing that he prays for is he prays this. He says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. You know who everyone else is? Everyone else. All right? For one another means this is how you're praying for the people in this room. This is how you're praying for your church every day. You're praying, God, may their love 
May the love of my friends, may our love increase and overflow toward one another. And towards everyone else. That means everybody who doesn't know Jesus outside of our church. It could also people who know Jesus in other churches as well. But make their love increase and overflow for each other, for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May He, may He, God, strengthen your hearts so that you will be, number one, blameless. Write that down in your blank. That you will be blameless. See, God doesn't want, He doesn't just want leaders in the church to be blameless. He wants the people of the church to be blameless. And holy. That's the other word. Write that word in your blank. May He strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. The God wants you to be holy. Not holier than thou. Sometimes we don't like the word holy because we associate it with the idea of being holier than thou. But think of being holy as being whole. Think of it as being like spiritually whole. That, that's set apart for the service of God. Set apart for following Jesus. That this is what God wants in our lives. He wants integrity. Uh, and just real quickly to call to your attention... Um, may he, may God strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God, uh, of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming again. Did you know that? He's coming again. And when he comes, he wants to find you blameless and holy. Blameless and holy. He wants to find you people of integrity. How do we thrive in Babylon? We thrive in Babylon with integrity. Without integrity, we can't thrive. Okay, uh, I, I think I need to, to, to say this because I, I don't know if I'm really doing a good job of saying this really well. Integrity is not legalism. Okay, it's not legalism. Integrity is not self-righteousness. Integrity is not playing church. By the way, the word integrity, uh, gee, our, um, oh, we got a mathematician here. What is an integer? A whole number. The word integer, whole number, integrity, wholeness, that's what we're talking about. That God wants us to be whole people. He wants us to be not just to wear a veneer of spirituality but to be spiritual deep down in our hearts. That's what God is wanting, is He wants us to have integrity uh, from the inside out. Number two, second thing to thrive in Babylon, it takes prayer to thrive in Babylon. It takes prayer. The, the, what does Daniel do when, he's, when, when they say, you know, they, they come up with this crazy law, nobody can pray to any god or to any person except Darius. What, what, is, what does Daniel do? He prays, right? He prays. He prays. What He goes to his home, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. That's an important phrase. It's a very important phrase. Much more important than you may realize. Daniel went to his home, to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem, three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed. 
giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. How did Daniel pray and what did he pray? First of all, he prayed giving thanks. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks. One of the things that needs to be characteristic of our prayer lives, we just sang that song, that song of gratitude. And that, that, that what, should, what should describe our prayer lives, I think what should shape our prayer lives is much, I think really more than anything else, is gratitude. That every day we should come to God grateful. Grateful for what? Well, I mean, I mean family, friends, our salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God's Word, all the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. But, but, but what, what Daniel did is when he prayed, he prayed giving thanks. Number two, he prayed asking God for help. So what the scripture says that when the men went as a group and they found Daniel, they found him praying, asking God for help. Do you think ruling an empire or being an administrator of an entire uh, empire might take a little bit of help? I'm, I, I think so. I mean, I feel like I need so much help. And most of you will say amen. I need a lot of help just trying to prepare to preach every week, trying to pastor and lead our church forward. I need help. We need help in our lives, don't we? You know, don't we need help? There are things in our lives where we just know we need God's help with these things. And so he prayed for help. But the third thing that, that shaped the way Daniel prayed, uh, how he prayed and what he prayed, is he prayed towards Jerusalem. Now, this is not like a Muslim praying towards Mecca. Okay, don't, don't get confused here. This is not like that at all. This is something that's very, very different. And, and I, I think I can... I can prove this from the Word of God. Well, the, the, you know, anybody remember Solomon? You remember Solomon? He was the third king uh, of Israel. Okay? And one of the things that makes Solomon noteworthy is he was very, very wise. Another thing, which, why did he marry so many women, have so many concubines? That doesn't sound like wisdom. Anyway, he was wise. He didn't always act wisely. Uh, and, but he also built the temple. You remember that? And after he built the temple, and when he was dedicating it, he prayed this prayer to God. And in this prayer, he prayed this. He says, hear the supplication of your servant, me, Solomon. He's praying to God. Hear, hear my prayer, my supplication, my supplication. Um, and the supplication of your people Israel, when they pray toward this place, hear from heaven, your dwelling place, uh, when you hear, forgive. Um, in that little praise, First, first Kings 8.30, it says this, Hear the supplication of your servant and your people of Israel when they pray toward this place, meaning praying towards the temple. The temple is where they gathered to worship. It was the center, the center of worship uh, for the people of Israel. And he goes on later, several verses later, and you can read this. It's First Kings chapter 8. I'll just tell you. Go back, read the whole thing. Okay? Okay. Um, and, and, and this is how Solomon prays. When your people sin against you. Did the people of God sin against him? Yeah. He says, when your people sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them, and give them over to their enemies. 
Solomon is praying this probably around, I don't know, I'm trying to, the, the time frame of this probably would have been about 950 B.C., if I remember correctly, okay? Uh, give or take uh, a few years. 950, 900 B.C., probably Solomon would have been praying this prayer. It was in 605 B.C., roughly 300 years later, that Israel was carried away, Judah was carried away into captivity, into Babylon. Why? Because of their sins against God. When your people sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them, and give them over to their enemies, the Babylonians, the Persians, who take them captive to their own lands, Babylon, Persia. And if they, your people, have a change of heart in the land, Babylon, Persia, where they are held captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, Babylon, Persia, and say, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. Write down on your notes, Daniel chapter 9. Write down Daniel chapter 9. That's important. We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. And they turn back to you with all their heart. And so, in the land of their enemies, who took them captive, Babylon, Persia, and pray toward you, toward the land, Israel, that you gave your ancestors toward the city, Jerusalem, you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea, and uphold their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all their offenses they have committed against you, and cause their captors to show them mercy. Let them return to Jerusalem. In Daniel chapter 9, guess what's in Daniel chapter 9? A prayer. A prayer. The prayer of Daniel. The prayer of Daniel. But you say, well, Gary, we're in Daniel chapter 6. That's Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, there's a prayer. And part of how Daniel prays, is he worships God. But what he does is he he says, you know, Lord, the great awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have not kept your uh, we have rebelled against you. We have turned away from your commands. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. And what he prays for is he prays for the restoration, the spiritual restoration, the spiritual renewal, and the spiritual revival of Israel. That's what he prays for. He confesses the sins of his people and prays for spiritual renewal. He confesses the sins of his people and he prays for spiritual revival. He confesses the sin of his people and he prays for spiritual restoration. And he gives a time date for his prayer. He gives a time date for his prayer in the first year of Darius. Who appointed Daniel to be the administrator over his empire? Darius. Darius did. See, this would have been 538 B.C. 
538 B.C., Daniel began to pray daily, three times a day, confessing the sins of his people, praying for revival, praying for spiritual renewal, praying for spiritual restoration. You want to know how to pray? Pray like Daniel. You want to know how to pray? Pray like Daniel. Give thanks to God. Ask God for help. But pray for revival. I'm sorry, I kind of went long there. It takes prayer to thrive in Babylon. The first Sunday of every month, that's today. Today's the first Sunday of the month. The first day of every month, there is a remnant who gathers here. There's a, a, a remnant that gathers here at 630. And you know what we pray for? We pray for spiritual renewal to begin right here. We pray for spiritual renewal to begin in our hearts. We pray for spiritual revival. For our church and for churches all across the country, we do it every month, the first Sunday of the month. But we pray, confessing the sin of our people and asking God to bring spiritual renewal and revival. We do this because we believe that our church needs it. I believe that this community needs our church to be a spiritually renewed church. I do. And I believe that that our nation needs our church and other churches like our churches to be spiritually renewed and revived. That's the hope of America. It's not in politics. It's in changed lives, changed churches. Uh, I, I believe that's where it's at. Okay, I'll quit preaching on that part. Let me give you two more things real quick. Sometimes the people of God are hated in Babylon. Uh, you know, Daniel gets thrown in a lion's den. He is despised because of his integrity. He gets thrown in a lion's den. Jesus says this, if the world hates you, if the world, you know, that's the people who don't know Jesus, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Uh, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. So if you ever feel hated... Probably because Jesus chose you out of the world. Uh, that's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. I know that, that that's not a popular message to preach. Hey, come follow Jesus and everybody will hate you. That's not a popular message to preach. And if you want the world to like you, you probably shouldn't follow Jesus. All right? Now, here's the thing is, sometimes people don't like Christians, and it has nothing to do with them following Jesus. It's just because, I don't know, (laughs) I mean, sometimes people may not like a person because the person is, I don't know, unlikable. If you're not, if you're dislike, make sure it's because you follow Jesus, not because you're being a, uh, I don't know, (laughs) I have a word in my head, but I can't say it in church, okay? Uh, Don't... Well, I was going to say, if the world doesn't like you, make sure it's not because you're 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 a turd, okay? <laughs> make sure it's because you're following Jesus. I'm probably a little... Never mind. Let's move on. Okay, I probably should have ended the message after point two. Point four, point four. Hey, if you want to... If you want... If you want... If you want to... 
If you want to thrive in Babylon, you need to understand sometimes you're going to be hated for the sake of Jesus. And if you want to thrive in Babylon, you need to remember that God rescues and saves his people. God rescues and saves his people. Uh, The Bible says that then King Darius wrote to all the nations, peoples of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. And then he says this, I issued the decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. And his kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. These are the words of a pagan king. A pagan king is declaring that the God of Daniel is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. And he rescues and he saves his people. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. I said this a couple weeks ago when we were looking at Daniel chapter 3. No, Daniel chapter 2. No, Daniel, yeah, Daniel chapter 2. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Whatever. It's somewhere, somewhere in there. Uh, no, Daniel chapter 3. Uh, I said this a couple weeks ago. I think it's worth saying again here. Sometimes God saves his people from suffering and death. Did you know that? God saved Daniel from suffering and death. God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from suffering and death, right? Sometimes God saves his people from suffering and death. And sometimes God saves his people through suffering and death. Just bear in mind. Keep that in mind. Sometimes God rescues his people through suffering and death. Meaning that you are not spared. But you are saved just the same. Jeremiah was stoned to death. As a prophet of God and a faithful follower of the Lord. Jeremiah was stoned to death, but he was saved. Isaiah. Isaiah was, they they took Isaiah, they put him in a bag, they sewed up the bag, they stuffed the bag inside a hollow of a tree. And they sawed that tree and they sawed Isaiah in half. But he was saved. Stephen was stoned to death when he gave witness to Jesus in the city of of Jerusalem. Stephen was stoned to death, but he was saved. James, son of Zebedee, brother of John, James was beheaded, but he was saved. Peter, remember Peter, was crucified upside down, but he was saved. Paul, remember the Apostle Paul, beheaded. But he was saved. John, brother of James, son of Zebedee, follower of Jesus, boiled in oil, exiled to Patmos. He was saved. Sometimes God saves his people through suffering and death. Sometimes God, uh, from suffering and death, sometimes God saves his people through suffering and death. But God rescues and saves his people. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. To thrive in Babylon, we must be people of integrity. Can you say integrity? It means being whole, spiritually whole. To thrive in Babylon, we must be uh, people of integrity. Number two, to thrive in Babylon, we must be people of prayer. Can you say prayer?
In prayer, our prayers need to look like gratitude. Our prayers need to look like asking God for help. Our prayers need to look like praying for revival and spiritual renewal. Number three, to thrive in Babylon, we must be prepared for opposition and hatred by the world. We must be prepared for opposition. And finally, number four, to thrive in Babylon, we must put our hope in God. Can you say hope? We must put our hope in God who rescues and saves. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. You, um, your kingdom endures forever. That, that you are the one who causes kings and kingdoms to rise and causes kings and kingdoms to fall. You are the one who raises up one president and then humbles him. You're the one who raises up one nation and then humbles it. But God, your kingdom will never end. Nobody can ever humble you. Uh, God, you are exalted. You are Lord God of all. And your kingdom will never end. God, you are our hope. You are our hope. You are the one who rescues us. You are the one who has saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore our sin on the cross and who conquered death in the grave, being raised on the third day, which we'll celebrate this next week. But God, you are the one who saves and rescues your people, sometimes from death and suffering and sometimes through death and suffering. But you are the one who rescues your people and saves your people. And Lord, we want to put our hope in you. God, help us to be people of integrity. Not just kind of playing church on the outside, but being people who are wholly devoted and committed to you. Loving well, loving one another, with our love increasing and overflowing for one another, and our love increasing and overflowing for people who don't know Jesus. God, help us to not be undone when we face suffering or even persecution, opposition. Help us, God, to see that, that, that well, this isn't really where we belong anyway. Lord, we, we, we don't want to be disliked by people because, because we're self-righteous and we're weird and stuff like that in the name of Jesus. We don't want that. But Lord, what we want to do is we want to follow Jesus wholly and completely. And if that means sometimes suffering and sometimes being persecuted or unliked or disliked or whatever, Lord, help us to fix our hope and our joy in you. And then finally, God, help us to hope in you because you are the God who rescues and saves. You've done this ultimately through Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection. So, God, we we put our hope in you, and we worship you, and we praise you, and we give you thanks today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Gary, thank you very much. Before we close with uh, by worshiping the God who rescues and saves, I want to mention uh, a couple of things. First of all, Carolyn and Gary both uh, brought up revival prayer, and I want to remind you about that tonight at 6.30. We will be here to pray. Looking forward to that.
And then also uh, a week from, uh, gosh, next weekend, Easter weekend, we will have our Good Friday service at 6 p.m. And then, of course, Easter Sunday at 10. And I want to remind you that at the table by the front door, we have some invite cards you can pick up. You can hand out to your friends and family and neighbors and invite them to come. We'd uh, love to uh, have a packed house that morning. And then finally, I want to mention that... uh, It's a privilege and an honor to be able to worship God with our giving. And I want to remind you that um, you can do that in a number of ways. You can find them uh, by pressing the uh, Give button on our app and also by going to solanavalley.org forward slash giving. And we want to thank you for partnering with us. We want to thank you for giving and for making it possible to reach more and more people with the incredible message that our God rescues and our God saves, the message of hope that we have in Christ. Hope is here, and it's here in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, folks, and let's sing one more time. Our God is alive. All right, let's sing one more time, church. I'm alive because you're alive. I am free because you set me free. I'm alive, I'm alive in you, Jesus. I am yours because you said it so. I am love and you won't let go. I'm alive, I'm alive in you, Jesus. No spirit. Oh, Spirit, come, bring revival to our land. This hope we have, our God, not dead. He is alive. And He is Jesus. Nothing and no one can stop Him. Nothing as strong as our God is. Our God is alive. Our God is alive. Any death, where is your sting? No sin, claim on me. I'm alive, I'm alive in you, Jesus. No grave could hold my King. He stands. Victory, he's alive, he's alive in me, Jesus. Oh, you're alive, you're alive in me, Jesus. He is Jesus, nothing you know it can stop him. Nothing is strong as our God is, our God is alive. He is risen, now we are walking in freedom, nothing is strong as our Jesus, our God is alive, oh yes He is, our God, our God is alive, what time He is, He is Jesus, nothing in no one can stop Him. Nothing as strong as I got it. 
Back here at 6.30 tonight. Have a wonderful day.